Hey everyone, welcome to Take a Second, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast meant to strengthen our personal connections with Jesus Christ, as well as deepen our appreciation for His role in our Heavenly Father's universal plan of salvation. I'm Brian Ricks, and Stuart Black is here with me. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into uh, let's get into this week's scripture block. Well, welcome back. It's uh, time for Matthew 19. I can't even remember Matthew, Matthew 19, 19 and, 20, and 20, Mark 10, Luke 18. Luke 18. Okay. And we'll probably do two of those chapters. And yeah, well, <laughs> as and per we'll, the norm. And each of the stories are in the others, <laughs> and so we'll bounce back and forth. And so yeah, I thought these ones were repeated more than a lot of the other yeah. the other chapters yep. as well. So. Um, where do you want? Should we start with the rich young ruler? Yeah, yeah. It's, I like. I, I'm going to start in Mark. That's where you're I, do I, Mark. I, I, I like I'm going to be in the. Ma- I like the Mark one too, but you're in Mark. <laughs> so you'll I'll be in Matthew, and we'll kind of blend them, them together. together. Yep. And and with this story in particular, there's. I like what Mark writes, and I like the question that Matthew writes. Yes. I yep. think when you combine those together, and and I think that's a great thing and a great. Um, way to study these chapters. I, I love how they blend. There's there's two different ways to really study the New Testament. You have harmoniously mm-hmm. or just sequentially. And the way that we've done it the past couple of times and Come Follow Me is harmoniously. You read it as they kind of all would go and you take a bit and a piece and a bit and a piece from each one and put it all together. And um, it, it's a great way to read it. And there's other times that reading straight through is, yeah. is also effective and good and stuff. But um, with, with the story of the rich young ruler here, um, in verse 17, um, he, the rich young ruler comes, and this is Mark 10, uh, verse 17, when he had gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And I, I was wondering as I reread this, why those ones? Mm-hmm. I don't know, and I don't have a great answer for it, but I was, I, there's only one of them that is kind of a proactive commandment. The other ones are just like, don't do bad things. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a, you know, uh, it, there is a difference between those things. And, and essentially the Lord's asking him, you know, or commanding him, definitely be obedient. And these are some checklist things that if you want eternal life or if you want to go to heaven, these are things that every single person is going to need to do. But what struck me this last time is in verse 17 that, this young man is thinking that, what do I do to get eternal life? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that eternal life is things that we do. Yeah, it's it's. I, I guess do is in follow Jesus, if that counts, or accepting His grace and and choosing to repent and making covenants. If those things are do, then yes. But there's no way that you and I can do enough good things by ourselves to ever go to heaven. There's yeah. There's no checklist that's sufficient. Mm-hmm. That if I mark every box, I'll get there. Exactly. And which is what makes this story so interesting because then he says, check, I've done those since I was little. Now what? Why? why like, can I have my ticket yeah, now? Give me, yep. <laughs> can I have that thing now? And uh, um, in, I'll, I'll jump over to you and, and we can go back and forth a little bit. At, at that point, that's where this great question in this part comes in. So, so before you get to the question, I, in the Matthew account um, – Verse 19, the Savior lists those commandments and then adds on. Matthew adds, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Hmm. And, and and I almost, in the Matthew account, I, I wonder if Matthew is highlighting the one commandment you haven't mastered. You've learned, you, you've done things. You've not murdered. You've not, you know, you've, you've done things, but you haven't learned to love. 
And the point of these commandments that he points out all have to do with the one that, you know, these, these commandments that are aimed at, it's, it's, it's possible to break the commandments into two categories, love God, love your neighbor. And the Savior quotes those commandments that are associated with loving your neighbor. So he quotes all of these ones. I do find it interesting that the one he doesn't mention is covet. Mm-hmm. Don't covet what others have. And maybe that's because this it leads to it. already <laughs> has it. Or, yeah. But the Savior skips that one and goes to love your neighbor. And, and the kid quickly says, I've done that. And I just wonder if sometimes there are commandments that we assume we're doing because we've checked the box, but checking the box isn't sufficient to what you're saying. This idea, there's, there's, we do in order to become, Mm -hmm. or we do. And and so all of these commandments are meant to help us love our neighbors. And it becomes apparent as the story unrolls that, that the young man has a little more development, a little more maturity, a little more perspective to develop so that he can really start loving others the way Heavenly Father wants him to. Absolutely. And and I love this idea then that he's starting with obedience, but obedience isn't enough. The next part of this, and and as we read into it and dig into it, it's sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Both of these two things go go well together. They go well in covenants that we make in the temple. They go well with, um, I I love the story of of Samuel and Saul, Mm. when he says, oh, I kept all the sheep to sacrifice them. He says, well, you didn't start with obedience. If you get these things out of order, then it doesn't work. He really is starting on a good path, that he is starting with obedience. And and probably most of us in our lives, when it comes to obedience, we start with that. We start with this checklist mentality, and it's not bad, but it shouldn't be the end of the road for us. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be the way that we're living our lives, like check, 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 check. It's not that's not sufficient for for what we're doing. And so I love this idea. And this would be a a question I would ask with family or in classes. Why does the Lord love us to sacrifice? If he has all of this stuff already, tithing is not about money. Mm -hmm. That's why it's a percentage. It's always a percentage. And so if, if God really cares so much about sacrifice, tell me why. And then talking about what it does for us, that it, it helps us actually keep these other commandments. It unlocks this idea of, of love because we, we sacrifice for those people that we love. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, why, that's why we work and we buy houses and try and take care of our families is because we love them. So we make these sacrifices instead of just saying, well, it's all about me. And so sacrifice almost always means that you have to give up something you like in behalf of somebody else, especially in these cases, the Lord. Uh, and I think I... I think it was President Kimball in Miracle Proceeds of Faith Proceeds Faith a Miracle. miracle. Um, I guess faith precedes the repentance too. But um, <laughs> faith precedes everything. Faith it's precedes, yeah. I, but I think I think it's in either Miracle of Forgiveness or Faith Precedes a Miracle that President Kimball says repentance hurts, or not repentance, sacrifice hurts. Mm-hmm. Sacrifice in by nature. If it doesn't hurt, it's not sacrifice. And it's it is really interesting that. This young man has, has checked the boxes, and the Savior leads him up to this point to where now following the Savior is going to hurt. And I think we all need to accept the fact that at some point our discipleship is going to be tested with something that's very difficult for us. And it's going to, discipleship requires that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Until it does, it, discipleship without sacrifice is kind of just like a social convenience. Especially living in, you know, this Wasatch Front, southeastern Idaho, you know, that, that Latter-day Saint corridor, so to speak. Mm-hmm. 
it's socially convenient to be a Latter-day Saint until we each reach certain, certain moments in our life where, and, that, and that's this moment right now for the young man. This, young, this moment right here encapsulates the time in every young man or every young woman's life or every old man and every old woman's life when discipleship quits being a social convenience and becomes a burden and requires a sacrifice. It requires you to give up something you want or love for the Savior by, by point of sacrifice. I love the, the, the very first story of sacrifice when the angel comes to Adam and says, Adam, what are you doing? It's like, I'm sacrificing the sheep. Why are you doing it? And Adam's response, I love it. Because in today's world, we so often want to know why. Why should I pay tithing? Well, Adam's response is, I don't know. I have no idea why I'm sacrificing this lamb, except for the fact that I was asked to do it. Logically speaking, it makes no sense. But it was what I was asked to do. And, and that's the moment. When you hit that point, that's when discipleship, that's when following Christ kind of shifts from that social convenience to discipleship. And, and then to keep going to know that it's okay to, to do those things, even when we don't give all the reasons I, or are, are given all of the reasons mm -hmm. from the Lord. I reread a quote from, from President Oaks that he gave uh, back in the 80s, and he said, in less than one in a hundred times, you'll see that the Lord gives a reason for commandments. Mm -hmm. And he says that he just doesn't do it very often. And, and he has his own reasons for not giving reasons. Mm -hmm. And we have to be okay with, with that, just like he... Why these five checklist ones? I, I love that idea that well, it relates to how he's interacting with other people, but also how he's interacting with the Lord. But now the Lord's like, I really need to push him. So that question, read that question yeah. from Matthew. So in the Matthew side, and I, the thing I love about these two accounts is you see two different perspectives or two different paths to exaltation. The path in Matthew is the young man saying to the Lord, I've done all these things from my youth or since I was a child. I've done all of these things. My first comment when he says, I've done all these things from a child, that's great. A lot of the things we do as a child is because our parents have asked us to. Everything the young man has said here says he has good parents. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily speak about him. And then, But I love the young man's question, what lack I yet? So one path to exaltation, and, and we will all walk each of these paths. Sometimes we'll be brave enough. I think it was Elder Bednar that said one point, if you're, if you're feeling brave, ask the Lord what you have left. Mm -hmm. What do I need to pray? What do I need to improve on? And then pray about it. One path to exaltation is, is my own personal inquiring, my, my getting on my knees and working out. Heavenly Father, what's, what's next for me? Harold B. Lee said, the path to salvation, the path to exaltation is to find the one thing that keeps you the farthest from God right now and work on it until it's not a problem. Then go find the next thing and work on that until it, and that's how you do it. You do it one hurdle or one burden at a time or one obstacle at a time. And don't you love that the Lord uses that next step, that your next step of discipleship and my next step of discipleship, it's the same path? But it's different mm -hmm. depending on where we're at. I really think that verse 21, at least in the Mark account, and it, maybe it's 20. 20. Okay. This idea that the Lord is choosing the one thing that is going to stretch him. Mm -hmm. And you'll see this time and again in the scriptures. You'll see this with Abraham. If God could have figured out another way to test Abraham besides, besides that, would have, Isaac. that would have pushed him even more, he would have done that thing. Yep. And the Lord, he does that for a reason because of this idea of why does the Lord like sacrifice? It does something to us. 
it, it changes truly deep down who we are, how we think, what motivates us, what's most important. Because that's really the next part of the story yeah. is, okay, do you know why I'm asking you to do this thing? To somebody who's super poor, they're like, yeah, sure. I, okay. That's what Peter John, says in the next I don't even have to go away to do that. Yeah, I don't even says, have to leave to do that. In, in 28 in Matthew 10, then, P, then Peter began to say unto him, Lord, we've left all and have followed these. Like, I already did that part. Do I get that's right. Do I get heaven now? And don't you love the fact that the Lord's going, no, 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 that's not your next step. Yes. That was his next Bingo. step. And I think sometimes as, as individuals doing our very best to follow the Savior and sometimes falling short, especially in the judgmental, critical of others area, mm. we know what the Lord has asked us to do next, and we assume that's the thing that he's asking them to work on. And mm. so sometimes when we see other people not working on the same thing we're working on, we get critical and the Lord's going, no, 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 that's how it's supposed yeah. to be. Um, and, and that's, that's the part of Mark that I love that I don't think Matthew mentions here in 21. Then Jesus beholding him, loved him, yeah. said unto him, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. And that, that phrase, take up the cross. It was, uh, back on Matthew 16, right after um, Peter has spoken up and said, thou art the Christ, mm -hmm. it, that uh, there's a, a footnote there. So you can go to Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And it takes you down to the uh, a great Joseph Smith translation that says, and now for a man to take up his cross is to deny himself all ungodliness and every worldly lust and keep my commandments. Well, for this guy, this is his next step, mm -hmm. is to do these things, to deny all ungodliness and every worldly lust and keep my commandments. And that idea of what's the next thing that's holding us back? This, this for this young man may have been holding him back in his life. Um, Kimby Clark, Elder Kimby Clark, back in 2015, gave a, a talk to religious educators where he, he encouraged them to ask two questions. And he said, the first one is, what am I doing that I should stop doing? And the second one is, what am I not doing that I should start doing? Mm -hmm. It's essentially this question of, what lack I yet? If you want a revelation, ask the Lord how I can improve. Mm -hmm. He's like, all right, get a okay, pen. Okay, yeah, get, get ready. Get a pen and a paper and start Make start sure your going. pencil's sharp. And, and if we're humble enough to do it, great things will happen for us. But it comes in that flow of obey, then sacrifice. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess I just have one, maybe two little thoughts here, and then I'll give you some another minute here. But in 22, he was sad at that saying, the rich young man and went away grieved for he had great possessions. And this is a great paradox of the world that yeah. he's sad because he has possessions. You're like, well, that's not, that's not how most people in the world view life. You're happy because you have possessions. This is a great point where it's like, nope, that's your paradox. Um, and, and I had a friend uh, a bunch of years ago, another teacher, um, he said, do you think he sold his stuff? And I was like, no, I don't think so. And he said, well, show me where. And I'm like, well, I don't yep. know. And so you keep reading the story. You're like, there's no end to that. We don't know what the young man did. I know that each of us are going to have our own opinion about it. But I'm just saying there is not a verse in the scriptures that says what the man did. Either sold it or kept it. He goes away sad, but he could have gone away sad and been like, this is going to be really hard, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. He could have. I don't know. Well, I'm just throwing this, that out there as a this thought. This to me sounds like, um, oh, and I forget her name now all of a sudden. The woman who in Nauvoo, she sweeps her house. They're getting ready oh, for the exodus. Is yeah. it is it Valette Kimball? Now I can't remember the what. I don't know if it's she Mr. Kimball. No, I don't think it is. I don't think so. Uh, maybe a can, maybe Cannon. I don't know. Uh, she sweeps her house, 
knowing she's never come back. Why sweep the house? Locks the door and leaves. Sets the broom by the door, walks out, locks the door, gets in a wagon, and heads across the river, knowing she's never going to see it again. I, I, I don't, I'm with you. I don't know that the sorrow in here suggests that he didn't go away. He went and away do selfishly it. or something. Yeah. yeah. I, I've always, uh, one of my favorite, one of my teaching uh, ideas for this, for this story is I like to have them stop in the Matthew account, um, verse 22. I, I like to just, a little writing activity, I like to have them write the rest of the story. Tell me what happens. 22 if you follow the young man instead of following the savior and his disciples the camera stays with the savior and the disciples in the in the scriptures what happens if you're writing the rest of the story and for older teenagers it might be fun to to process this and say okay let me give you a few endings give them some suggestions write the story for you know you have to have him be sorrowful because that's what the scriptures say but write the story for the young man who goes back and does it what about the young man who goes back, isn't going to do it, but then does? Or the young man who just utterly refuses and goes home and, and doesn't? And write that out and, and ask them and let, let, whether it's your family or your class, let them explain why they think the young man's life ends up the way they wrote it based on one of those three outcomes. Um, I love the fact that none of the accounts in the scriptures give us his name. He, this could be somebody who's named later on in the New Testament as, an, as a, as a sure. convert. It could be somebody later on before the Savior's killed, although there's not a lot of time for that, who's come back and said, okay, I did it. And I've often wondered, you know, you talk about these two different paths to exaltation. One path is for me to find out. Another path is um, sometimes we're blind to our own weaknesses. And it takes somebody else from a third perspective, like a spouse or a friend, or a bishop, or somebody to say, this isn't working for you in your life. Mm -hmm. This is not a good path for you to be on. Um, and that's the, that's the account of Mark, where the Savior says, one thing lackest thou yet. I also like the idea of putting them together. And this, the, the point you made is, this, this, this is an account of revelation. The young man asks, ask and you shall receive, mm -hmm. from the Mark account. Um, I've wondered if when the young man comes back, as I've written the story, I've done that activity before, and, and in my account of the young man going home, stewing over it for a week, and then finally doing it and coming back, I picture that encounter, you know, the Mark account, having lo you know, the, love, the love that the Savior has for him. him yeah. I imagine this big embrace and the Savior kind of holding him back and then saying, this is awesome, thank you. One thing lackest thou yet. And for individuals who get overwhelmed with the number of things they're supposed to do in the gospel, mm -hmm. and that's easy to, to become overwhelmed because... It's a checklist type thing. There are so many things to do. Callings, being a parent, being, you know, providing for families. And, and in, a, in a chaotic world, it's only getting busier. It's easy to become overwhelmed by the number of responsibilities that we have. And, and I, I know some people who simply check out because the gospel becomes too busy. They get overwhelmed with the checklist. And I love this approach. One of the lessons from this ought to be, I think, that we should take it. Work on one thing. If you're overwhelmed with everything, step back. Find the one thing that's most important and work on that and improve it. And, and I think asking ourselves that same question of, okay, what lack I yet? Mm -hmm. make, make this 
this week or the next few days or whenever you watch this or listen to it, make that a part of what you do in your own seeking personal revelation yeah. to say, what what's my next step? Not a whole bunch of things. This guy probably had a few more things that he also needed mm-hmm. to work on. And I love that idea of it. What's your next one? Um, there, there's that idea of um, you shoot the alligators closest to the boat. Yep. You ever heard that, right? I have. That uh, when your boat's getting filled up with alligators, you don't worry about the ones way out there. What's the closest alligator? Take care of that one. Okay? Then go on to the next one. The, we will totally just lose our minds if we get so wrapped up with, okay, what's all of the things I have to do in life before I get to have, okay, that's big picture. Let's work on little picture right now. And this is one of those opportunities that you can go approach somebody who loves you, who will give you the best kind of correction and feedback of, okay, what's the thing that I need next? Yeah. And just think about what happens to our self-esteem when we tackle every one of our weaknesses all at once. To even consider all of my weaknesses all at once is really demoralizing. I'm not that great of a person. I, I, when you break I can it down, attest to that. No. Yeah, see? <laughs> but when you break it down black and white into a checklist approach, I'm really not. I really don't check enough boxes to feel good about myself. I check enough boxes to trick myself. <laughs> but... But this approach, again, I, I have to doctrinally remind myself that, look, it's okay. The other thing I love about this, and I guess, and then we can move on. I, yeah. I love the balance that the, that the scriptures provide to, I guess, traditionally speaking and generally speaking, not necessarily individually, but the stereotype of previous generations before us is a, you're never good enough, always work harder, never appreciation, like always focus on what needs to be improved rather than the progress we've made. It seems like the cultural pendulum has shift, has shifted so far to the other side that no matter what you've done, it's good enough. Mm-hmm. And you should be happy Just with be who you. you are and there's no improvement necessary. And the Savior's striking this great balance between, you know, he says unto him, you know, what have I, what have I done? And is it, what's the mark? What's the Savior's response to I've kept all these things? Um, so the Mark counter is the Luke yeah, uh, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, one thing thou lackest, yeah. go thy way. So yeah. Notice the Savior's, there's an appreciation for what you've done. I love you for how good you are. And yet this perfect balance between contentment and improvement. And, and not accepting that you're, you're fine, just yeah. coast. It, isn't it Elder Utendorf that said, the Lord loves you where you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay there. Elder Holland, I think. Elder Holland. Mm-hmm. I, that's that's this story. Yeah, I love you. You, I'm so grateful. I, and I think that's the other thing. Maybe we need to be careful being overly critical of checklisters, because I think the Lord loves people who check boxes, yeah. because they're checking boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that it, there's that balance between, and I, and we all need this personally, this balance between, I love me because of who I am as a child of God. Um. In fact, there's a great video, the, the, the video that the church put out about, um, based around Elder Holland's Broken Vessels talk, he came back years later, and they've got four or five individuals who are in that video, Elder Holland's talking in it much later, reflecting on why he gave the talk. It's a great video. Um, in that video, there's, uh, there's this, the four accounts are, are really, I think, important and and there's backstory to him one of the young ladies that's in that is the leading act is the lead actress in the fighting preacher Mm. Um, another one that's in that video is a seminary teacher and a bishop when he has his mental illness 
break. And I think sometimes we we forget that our life circumstances don't change how the Lord feels about us. The Lord doesn't love us because of what we do. He loves us because of who we are. And somehow we need to accept that about ourselves. We need to love ourselves because of who we are, not because of what we do or what we've done. And that's hard. That's hard for me. That's We, we put so much worth into the things that we do and not enough into into that into that title of son or daughter of God. You're, you're talking about don't be critical of the checklisters. I, I'm probably more of a checklist type of a person. And it struck me, and I hadn't th- made the connection. He essentially gives this guy a checklist. Yeah. The next, the next thing next he's like, do. here's your next to do then. Yep. If that's, if if that's, that's how you want to do it. And he gives it to him. But that like idea that. that of striking this balance, he, he explains the camel and the needle. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, that's Yeah, so how problem. do you read that? I, I, I had been taught when I was a youngster, and I will not call out any of my teachers or whatever <laughs> from anything, that they were like, there's literally a gate in Jerusalem. Yep. And I don't think that there is. I, I've dug into it a little bit, and maybe I'm mistaken now. But I'm like, I think he's literally talking about a camel and a needle. That it's literally like a camel will not fit through this. Yep. It, it is, I, it's that. Not so, not the box where the little gate where the camel has to crawl through and load his back. And maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't know. We look for literal explanations and everything. And yes. the problem is, is, and I don't know about you, but sarcasm is my family's second language. <laughs> like it just is. And, Cursing and is it, probably with that exaggeration, <laughs> I, grew up a, I grew up fishing. I was a fisherman. Fishermen <laughs> exaggerate. That's their first language. English is a second language to fishermen yeah. because hyperbole and exaggeration <laughs> is their first one. Got like 15. And Three? Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> and they were all like this. You mean like this? Yes. yes. <laughs> um, you mean you didn't even go this morning? Okay, yeah, okay. that's true. I slept it. And I, and I read one, one commentary that said you can talk about the fact that the word camel here actually means rope. There's that explanation. You can talk about this gate that supposedly exists somewhere in the middle of nowhere, Egypt, or wherever it is. And maybe those things are true. But the, 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 the author just said it might be better just to acknowledge, just take the Lord's comments for what it is. It's not, this is not atypical to Eastern teaching. Mm-hmm. The kind of teaching that would have been uh, used back in the Savior's day, this idea of, of speaking with an exaggeration to prove a point. And the point the Savior's proving is immediately before that. He says, look, uh, verse 23 in the Matthew account, a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, and again, I say unto you, this is almost like Isaiah's parallelism. parallelism. Yeah, parallel, I'm trying to say parallelism and poetry at the same time. (laughs) And and he's, he's emphasizing the point he just made. The real point he made is a rich man, or in other words, a man who trusts in his riches is going to have a hard time getting into the kingdom. And then the next thing is an exaggeration or a hyperbole uh, magnifying his point. And I don't know that you need to take it any more than that. Right. And and then the emphasis is uh, when because Simon Peter says, how is this even possible then? Um, and Jesus looking upon them saith, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Mm-hmm. And so that idea of striking that balance and understanding, okay, what's my next step? And knowing that I have a bunch of things, but also knowing that it's still possible. Mm-hmm. That it, it's this the gospel is so perfect on both sides that you don't have to beat yourself up and you don't have to just coast. It is so perfect in the middle. He's like, I know that if you tried to do either one of these, most of us on our own are swinging back and forth. But he says, but with God, 
Straight and narrow. Got it. You're going to get it. Yep. So. All right. Where do you want to go next? Matthew 20. 20. Parable, labors. I love this parable. I did too. Okay, so I grew up. Because people get mad. I grew up Every not, time you teach it, I love it. <laughs> yeah. I I grew up inactive. Not super crazy. I, I'd go to church every now and then. Um, never a bad kid. Not really a great kid. Um Stayed out of trouble. A lot of a lot of the reason I stayed out of trouble was because I had good friends, um, and you know, then that's just the way I grew up. Uh, when I did get active, 18, 19 years old, had a couple of experiences. Ended up in the mission field. Had a, several experiences in the mission field that helped solidify my testimony, especially of the Prophet Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon, uh, and and ultimately the Savior Jesus Christ and how He changes lives. Came home from the mission field. Converted and and set in like I'm going to do this. And I remember going. Uh, you didn't have to get too long into college, and I'd watch my friends here at ISU that were doing things that weren't uh, necessarily a part of my new lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I remember thinking, oh, I should have waited. I should have waited until 24, 25. Then I could. So my then, Yeah, I'd go and do whatever I want. Then I would have had, and I would have had an excuse, and that would have been ideal. I could have partied, and later had the gospel. Uh, and I remember, I was probably 23 or 24 when somebody took me to this parable, and and helped me see the parable and through a, a, maybe a little bit of a different lens. Uh, so overview of the parable. Uh, Savior starts in verse one, the kingdom of heaven is likened to that unto a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. Now in the savior's day, there were no careers. Like you didn't go get a job as an accountant. You didn't go get a job as, you know, there was, there really wasn't any such thing as a daily job. If you were in the lower class, Mm -hmm. you were householders. And if you were householders, you had certain jobs that had to be done around your house, but they didn't have to be done all year because most of them are farmers and agricultural. And so you'd have a planting season where you'd have tons of work and then you wouldn't have much during the growing season. And then you'd have harvest. And so you'd have a Love ton again. of work. And, and so you had these groups, you had really two classes, the householders or the wealthy and the laborers. And so what would happen during a busy time? You'd go, you as a householder, you'd go to the marketplace and you'd go to the temp service. I always talk about the temp, you know, this is the temp service, right? Uh, And you'd go and you'd say, you, 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 and you come with me. Mm -hmm. And so that's what he's doing. So he he goes early in the morning, early in the morning is probably six o'clock when the day starts. Verse two, he agrees with the laborers for a penny. This is important. There's a, there's a, there's a contractual, a contractual obligation. obligation for a penny, and they agreed to it mm-hmm. and went into the labor. And frankly, in, we're happy to where, have Yeah, it. exactly, and that's important as well. At one point, they're happy with their arrangement. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, then he goes out about the third hour, saw others standing so out in the marketplace. So when yep. you're going through this, yeah, I, this I, I'd important. map it out. Mm-hmm. I'd say, okay, how many hours have they worked? So if, theoretically, if they start at 6 in the morning, Jewish day goes 6 to 6. So map it out as you're going through. Okay, third hour is 9 a.m. All right, and I think the next is fifth hour, okay? Or no, sixth hour. Sixth, sixth hour. hour, then ninth hour. So at noon and then at three. Yep. And then he goes out at 5 p.m. Yep. And the day's about to end at, at 6 p.m. then. So those are the five groups, and I yep. think that's important. Part. And verse four, when he goes at nine o'clock when he goes out, and he does this with each of the, the, the following groups. Whatsoever is right, I will give you. Mm-hmm. 
And so a penny, if we say a penny is a, a, day's, a wage. day's wage, then if you work nine of the 12 hours, you can, uh, you can expect the equivalent of nine three quarters, three quarters, yeah, three quarters of, a of a day or half 70, a day 75 or, seven, cents, 25 or whatever. Cents. Yeah. So he goes out and in verse five, it says, and he did likewise in the sixth and ninth hour. And then the 11th hour, he went out and I'm fascinated with this. He found others standing idle and saith unto them, why stand ye here all the day idle? How did he know they were there all day long? He was there at six in the morning. He's seen them every single time he has seen them. And for whatever reason, they didn't get chosen to go into the vineyard. Now, it seems like it's not anything against them that they haven't been chosen. There's nothing in the parable to suggest that one laborer was more qualified or than the other. And, and that's, and I think sometimes it's important to point out the, the details that the savior doesn't include in his parables. There's nothing in this parable that allows us to speculate that one laborer at 6 a.m. was more qualified or capable than the, those that were hired at 5. And it also sounds like they were there the whole day. Yes. They were also there at 6 in the morning waiting at the temp service yep. and didn't get their number called. Yeah. That they they weren't the slackers who just showed up at yes. 6 at noon and be like, is there a job for half day? Yeah. They're, they're not those guys. It sounds like, at least the way that it's written, is that they were there all day. And you got to ask yourself, and this is the point that I, that I find fascinating— which is going to play into to later on. What would get somebody to show up at six o'clock in the morning and stand in a marketplace for 11 hours? There's only one hour left. It's not like there's any nighttime jobs, not in the Jewish day back then. Labor stopped at six and you went home and you did your, and, and so it's not like you're hoping for a, a, a 12 hour graveyard shift. You're standing there after 11 hours of doing nothing, hoping to get one-twelfth of a day's wage. Less than 10 cents if we equate it to a dollar and so forth. And so, you know, what are some of the things that would get to do that? And I, I've just thought about, you know, as a husband, the the idea of not being able to provide is, is heavy. It's a burden. And the idea of having to go home and tell my spouse and my kids, I didn't get work today. It, in my mind, the only thing that keeps someone there that long for such a little reward is desperation. It is, it's a, it's, it's a literal hunger mm -hmm. and thirst. It's, it's a desire to be able to provide at least the smallest meal. And what kind of a burden would that be? Every time, every time this guy has come, every time this householder and every other householder that's come to this temp service and has hired them, they've not had their number drawn and, ha and, and yet they stay. They don't leave out discouragement. That's because the that's because the desperation is more powerful than the discouragement. And 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 I would have a conversation before you get to the rest of the parable. I would talk about. I, I would definitely have a conversation about when have you felt that kind of desperation? When have you wanted something so bad that even the smallest portion of it was worth? A, a huge delay or why would you stay there that long? And what are some situations that would bring up in today's world? What are some situations that, that elicit that kind of desperation? And I think about young couples that can't get married or, or individual or young couples that can't have children or young people that can't get married or, you know, individuals who they've separated themselves from the church because of bad choices and they know what they're, they're lacking. I think about death and I think about family members that, haven't that don't have the same convictions I do about the gospel and the eternal nature of 
the soul and of who we are as God's children and the kind of excruciating anguish that goes, that, that it comes, becomes a part of that separation. That's the kind of desperation that I see in verse six when the guy says, why have you been here all day long? And their response in verse seven, because no man hath hired us, because there's nothing, nothing's come to us today that will satisfy our, our hunger. And so he says, okay, go over. And again says, whatsoever is right, that shall you receive. And so they go into the vineyard, probably thinking they're going to get eight cents. Mm -hmm. So the day's over. Six out, it's six o'clock. It's, it's payday. And I love what he, how he pays them. Yeah. Do you think he did this on purpose? Yes. Because I was, you know, if you start at the, the other ones. This is mean. If he did this on purpose, oh, this is it, mean. It has to be calculated. So when he was come, <laughs> the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, call the laborers and give them their hire. Beginning from the last unto the first. He wants to make sure that the first ones see what the last ones do. Because he could have started and given out the pennies at the end. And by the time all the people who were there 12 hours working were gone, he'd be like, Amy, here's something for you too. Yeah. Don't tell anybody. Like okay. he doesn't do that. This is for everyone to see. And by the way, I I, I had to write it out because I've done an object lesson with this in seminary a bunch of times, and it, it's awesome. You get five volunteers. The first one does 12 push-ups, and you tell them, "I'll give you 12 bucks." Okay. And you tell them, "Like, hey, this it's not real money. You're really not going to pay the kids 12 bucks." But then you can either like actually get the cash or give them a, a penny and ch give them 12 pennies. And you have to change the amounts to get it to work this way because you can't really divide a penny for us. Um, then nine push-ups. So you get the next person, will you do nine push-ups and then tell them I'll make it right with you. You don't tell them their wage. That's the key part of this story. And they're like, okay. Cause then they think well, I'll get nine bucks. And then you do the same with six, three, and one. So that corresponds with the number of hours. You ask the one push-up push person, how much do you feel you deserve? Because you haven't told anybody else what the amount what, is. So yeah. you, so you start with them at the end, I they're like it. a buck. And then you dole out 12 and then you go home. To the next one, you're like, how many do you deserve? And they're like, I only did three push-ups, three bucks. Dole out 12. And you watch the kids' faces in seminary as they're like, right on. Or you give them 12 pennies and you're like, each of these is $1,000 or whatever, however you're doing it with the money. But that idea then, by the time you get to the end, you're like, how many of you are so happy? That one push-up person's like, yeah, <laughs> they're so excited. The 12 push-up person is so mad. And you're like, didn't I tell you I'd give you 12 bucks? Here's 12 bucks. How are you mad? Mm -hmm. How can you, and they're like, but you gave him 12 and he only had to do one. And it just, you get a whole great discussion about it that you're only mad because you're comparing. Yep. That is the only reason that this is happening. And that's why I really think the Lord is saying, I, you're all going to watch this. I am completely fair because I get to give you everything that I want. And so in verse 15, is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is, is thine eye evil because I'm good? He says, it's my money. And you, like, you point that out to the seminary kids like, and, and to your family as you're doing push-ups and stuff. You're like, it's my money. I can do whatever I want yeah, with it. Why do you care how generous I was with him? Bingo. And, and so this, uh, if you want to go or oh, go this, back and yeah. listen to Elder Holland's talk or reread Elder Holland's talk, April 2012. But just a quote I've written into my scriptures. There are going to be times in our lives when someone else gets an unexpected blessing or receives some special recognition. May I plead with us not to be hurt and certainly not to feel envious when good fortune comes to another person. We are not diminished when someone else is added upon. We are not in a race against each other. The race we are really in is the race against sin. 
coveting, pouting, or tearing others down does not elevate your standing, nor does demeaning someone else improve your self-image. So be kind and be grateful that God is kind. It is a happy way to live. And I, I love that end where it's, he just says, just be happy that God's good to you. You got to work all, and Elder Holland in his talk, that's one of the things he pointed out about the laborers. He said, you, were, you had the security of a job the whole day long. How are you even complaining? This guy at five o'clock is trying to come up with, what am I going to go tell my wife and kids when I don't feed them today? He had, he had 11 hours of worry about his, his family and their, their financial situation. And you had consistency the whole day. I did not slight you at all. And you need to understand that. Yeah. And uh, just, I, I, found, I stumbled upon this. It was a TED Talk. It's about comparison and these two monkeys. And maybe you and I have talked about this before. I don't think so. They've done the study with dogs and other animals, birds and stuff. But you can watch this one with, uh, I think they're Ch Chapukin monkeys. And uh, they like cucumbers. So they are, they are happy to do cucumbers. And you, you, they live in groups. And they're, they're very social animals. And you set up two cages. So they have this test subject. So two, two monkeys, same group. And they give them a task. And if they do the task, then uh, – and it's a rock. So she has a rock. They have to take the rock and put it in a little tray and hand it to her on this side. So out in the other side of the cage. So she gives it, hands the first one a cucumber, and it eats it. So she goes to the next one and does the same thing with the rock because it's been trained to do this thing with the rock. And she gives it a grape. And they like grapes way more than cucumbers. And the one next to it sees the grape. So does the rock again. And she, the, the lady doing the test hands this one a cucumber again and puts it in its mouth, throws it through the bar at the lady. And then she hands the other one a, a rock on the other side, gives it a grape, goes to the other side, gets it a rock. He pounds it to make sure it's not a grape, a grape. throws the cucumber again. So he hands it back. He's mad that he gets a third cucumber as the other one gets a grape. And he is like shaking the cage and the monkey is freaking out. So happy at the beginning because it's a cucumber, not when it has to compare to the other. And, it's, and that's with monkeys. This is the same way with people. I, we all do the same thing. And they've done other ones with dogs and sitting. And then they say sit and gives it a treat and sit and doesn't give the other one a treat, does it again. After once, the dog won't sit again. He's like, no, I, I want the treat. Mm-hmm. Because it's comparison is the thief of joy. It robs yeah. us. And and one of the things that it robs us of is the perspective of what we really got. In this in this case, one of the things that you got actually verse thirteen, he says, Didn't you agree with me for one penny? You were thrilled with the idea of a penny. And it goes back to the monkey, like, why are you upset? I gave you something you like. Mm -hmm. And and what these laborers have lost sight of, they've they've lost sight of or never saw in the first place the blessing of the security that Elder Holland mentions. And I think this is, for us, there are so many blessings that come almost through the back door of, of being, of living uh, as an active Latter-day Saint, living the health code, living the, the, the morality code. There are so many things that we don't have to deal with that other people literally have to stress about. I, I was a freshman here on campus at ISU um, it was kind of, it was right after Ma Magic Johnson had come out and announced that he, he had HIV and, and AIDS was kind of on the forefront of everybody's mind. So as a freshman, I'm looking through the class schedule trying to pick and I, I, I find this one credit microbiology class on AIDS. And I am so stoked. Like that'll be an awesome class. Entry level, no prerequisites. I can't figure out how any microbiology class doesn't have some kind of a prerequisite. <laughs> um, 
Sounds so like I a enroll. Hard class. <laughs> I enroll. I'm like, I'm super fascinated with it. Well, I get there and I find out it's a lecture class designed for the student athletes. I'm sure that no college does this anymore. A lecture class designed for the student athletes so that they could get a class or get their credit has a, a rather difficult title, so it makes it look challenging. challenging. Lecture class, no homework. It was all attendance based, and it was basically a sex ed class for college kids. And I'll never forget the conversation that we had when it came time to uh, sexually transmitted diseases and protection against those things. And and the teacher had all kinds of examples up at the front, and he was talking about the pros and the cons and the percentages. And I'll never forget this. I wish I knew who this girl was. Uh, and somewhere out there, you know, she's she's somewhere. But there's this girl, I believe, from Colorado who is a volleyball player sitting next to me raised her hand and said, um, isn't there any protection that's 100% guaranteed? And this older gentleman on the liberal side of, of things looked at her and said, there is nothing you can do to 100% protect yourself from sexually transmitted diseases or getting pregnant. And I'll never forget the girl. She, she simply said, at first she just said, well, what about abstinence? And he, this, this professor openly mocked this student. Nobody in the 1990s is not having sex, was his response. And she stood up, looked him in the eye and said, I'm not, and I'll never get any of these diseases you're talking about. And it was, it was this powerful moment. And it, it's made me think about the other secondhand benefits that come from living the gospel. I don't ever have to, I don't have to worry about a hangover remedy. I, I don't. Um, every year, because I itemize, I get to count on a pretty sweet <laughs> little tax, tax return. Um, there's all kinds of secondhand benefits. And in this story, these individuals have forgotten about the secondhand benefits and they're frustrated because everyone else got the same primary benefit as them. And at the end of the day, Remember, in Doctrine and Covenants 84, Old Covenant of the Priesthood, everyone gets what the Savior has got. And the Savior really is the only one who has the right to look to the Father and say, this isn't fair. No. Nobody, <coughs> no, nobody has the right to say, I deserve more than someone else. Um, and I, this parable changed my attitude about, man, I should have waited. I should have waited to get active in the church. I should have waited to get baptized, or I should have waited to go to the temple. I should have... No, because of all of the secondary benefits, at the end of the day, if I've become... You go back to the, 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 the experience with the rich young ruler. If I've become the kind of person who loves my fellow laborers, then I will be thrilled to see them get the same reward as me. And I'll regret the fact that they missed out on all of the blessings during our 12-hour day here on earth, that they missed out on the confidence, the reassurance, the self-esteem, and the, the other blessings that come because of my place in the vineyard, because I'm out working in the field. And can I say just about our place in the vineyard that all of these people had a place? Mm -hmm. The one-hour laborers and the 12-hour laborers? I mean, I've, I've, we had an apple tree in our backyard growing up when we lived in Montana, and um, on Saturdays when my dad mowed, we were too little to start mowing yet, we had to pick up apples. And I know for a fact, I will take it to the grave, that I picked up so many more apples than my little brother. 
that I was out there way longer than he was. And it was always a comparison. And now I think of, well, I'm older. I have, I have kids now. My daughters are so good about helping their little brother clean up his stuff because they're 10 and 8 and he's 4. And your daughters come and talk to I my daughters. I know, isn't like, that? I, I hope they still get it. I'm just I crossing need your those daughters fingers. to come and talk to my daughters. <laughs> I know, and it is, it is such a neat thing that, and, and I said, listen, when you guys were small, we helped you a lot. And now that they're small, they need some help. And I'm not saying that they are the one-hour people or any less, but maybe they're a little bit less experienced in mm-hmm. this regard. Or maybe it, not even that, but they've found their place in the vineyard, and the Lord is still reaching out to them and still giving them a chance. And and that phrase, there's it's just anytime the Lord calls us friends, the scriptures means a lot to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I look back on my life on good friends that I've had and that I that I still have, and they make a huge difference. And I love that the Lord would consider me His friend. And don't I, I mean I, we've talked about this from the perspective of the the twelve hour workers, but from the perspective of the one hour workers, don't you love the fact that if I'm a, if I'm a latecomer. If I did delay my, my baptism or my repentance or whatever, if I didn't show up until my 20s or 40s or 60s, don't you love the fact that the reward is the same? How? how and, and the Savior's comment, is thine eye evil because I'm good? Like, why, why does my mercy, why does my blessing other people, why does that make you upset? I love the fact that the one-hour workers get the same reward. I do too. God is good. Yep. God is good. It's a great spot. Let's end there. Let's end there. Okay. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks again for joining us on Take a Second for Come Follow Me. Brother Black and myself want to emphasize that in this episode or any other episode, there's nothing that we've said that is meant to or can in any way be interpreted as the official doctrine or policy or practice of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, Brother Black and myself simply represent two guys that enjoy talking about Scripture and and on our own life experiences as it relates to the Gospel of Jesus Christ and, and hope that in sharing some of our thoughts and, and insights, but certainly our personal opinions and nothing more, that uh, maybe it might open up the Scriptures a little bit t- to you. So thanks again for joining us on Take a Second. And we will see you in our next episode.